Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We're going to jump right in today in our series on the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6. We've been there for a couple of weeks. And the title of the message today is The Hardest Thing. The Hardest Thing. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that. The Hardest Thing. I want to talk about the context of what is the hardest thing that God or Jesus asks us to do? What is the hardest thing God has ever asked you to do? Now, that can be very personal. It may be different for different individuals because God gives us instructions about our marriage relationships. And if we got a problem in our marriage, maybe one of the things He wants us to do is very, very hard. Or relationships between parents and kids, or at work, you know, relationships in general. Or maybe there's a certain thing he's asked you to do in your life, and for you it's an extremely hard thing to do. But if you were to take a survey and just say, in general, what is the hardest thing that God asks people to do? I think there'd be a tie between two things, and they're very closely related. Just my opinion, but based on knowing people and dealing with people for decades. One would be forgiveness. Would you agree? When God asks us to forgive people, and and what makes it so hard, the hardest is when they really terribly, horribly hurt us in some way. The second one is what we're going to look at today when Jesus tells us that we are to love our enemies. Now, you can see they're related, right? I mean, someone has hurt us terribly and God wants us to forgive them, but he also says, love your enemies. If the person who's hurt us is our enemy, then it's the same thing, isn't it? But we're going to take a look at this hard thing, loving our enemies. Now, loving our enemies is not hard to do if we don't have enemies, right? How many of you don't have any enemies? I mean, I'll be honest, I can really, really there's nobody that comes to my mind when somebody says, Pastor Tim, who would you consider an enemy? And I don't mean in the sense that I consider them that I'm I'm their enemy, but that they consider me an enemy, all right? Um, there may be some out there that I'm not aware of, but hopefully not. But there have been times in my life that people have come against me and have hurt me terribly. It's just right now I can't think of anything. Some people have to live with that all the time. So it's not that hard to do if you don't have enemies, but what about when somebody hates you? What about when someone hurts you, abuses you, or takes advantage of you, or someone you love? You know, sometimes it's even worse when it's someone you love. It's like, okay, I can take this, I can ignore it, I can tune them out, I can walk away, but when they hurt my spouse, when they hurt my child, when they hurt my parent, when they hurt whoever it is, it makes it very difficult. And the thing that's bad is that evil and hurt and pain is so versatile. It can be verbal. It can be physical. It can be financial. Somebody take care of you financially, uh, take advantage of you financially. It can be uh, sociological. It can be relational. Somebody stir up all kinds of problems with you, uh, for you, with other people. And what makes it even harder is when they do it on purpose. I mean, it's bad when somebody does something that really hurts us and they didn't really mean to, but when they do it on purpose. Now, I'm I'm spending a little time on this because I want us to really feel this, even if right now we're not dealing with this. We have at some point, probably. And each of us has dealt with it at different levels. Some of you, some of us, some of you watching online, perhaps you've dealt with this at a really high level. Someone has really, really come against you and really hurt you and really abused you or whatever. And it's like, this is one of the hardest things Jesus could ask me to do. But you know, we can't ignore the hard things. All we can do is try to understand them and say, God, what do you mean by this? And how do I apply this to my life? And Lord, for the hard things, I'm going to need your help to do it. And I hope that that is your attitude today. 
I hope that you have the attitude of God, you know, if you're if you're a believer. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not a follower, you're not a disciple, you know, maybe you're here, you're watching online for some other reason. This can be extra, extra hard because this is just totally against our nature. But if we're a child of God and God asks us to do something, it's like, God, I want to please you, but it's so hard. So I really need help to understand it and I really need help to do it. And I hope that's your heart and that's your attitude. The background of our text today in Luke chapter 6, we're going to read from verse 27 in just a moment. As we've seen the last couple of weeks, Jesus chose 12 of his disciples to be apostles after a night of prayer. He comes down off the mountain where he's been praying and there's this humongous group of people that have gathered and he's teaching them. And it says specifically that he's teaching his disciples. So his disciples are there, not just the 12, but a bunch of disciples, a bunch of people that have been kind of following him and trying to learn from him. But there's other people there too, people that are just checking him out. People that don't know what they think about him. People that have come because they need healing. People that are coming because they need to be delivered from demonic spirits. And Jesus has done all that. And then he starts teaching. And last week we looked at some things he said about being blessed by God. And it was kind of counterintuitive. He says, you're blessed by God if you're poor, if you're hungry, if you're, you know, suffering in some ways. And and if you're like, that's confusing and you were here, you can go back and watch or listen to that um, later. But he wraps it up by saying, blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are people when uh, blessed are you when people revile you and exclude you and spurn you because of your faith. He doesn't say it in this in, the, in his teaching, but basically the idea is you're blessed because it means you're doing something right. You're trying to live what you believe. You're trying to stand up for what's right. You're trying to love God and that turns people off. And he says, you're like your father. This is the way they've treated righteous People all through history, you're in good company. And because of that, God's going to really bless you. That's the context of our passage for today. So immediately after talking about that, Jesus says this in Luke 6, starting in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you to the one who strikes you on the cheek offer the other also and from the one who takes away your cloak do not withhold your tunic either give to everyone who asks from you or begs from you and from the one who takes away your goods do not demand them back and as you wish that others would do to you do so to them if you love those who love you What benefit is that to you? Even sinners. Now, by sinners, he's just talking about people that don't have anything to do with God. People that don't want anything to do with God. People who just live in their own life. Even people who don't claim to be godly or God lovers or God followers or Jesus followers. They love people that love them. He goes on. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Hard thing. Maybe even the hardest thing. What did Jesus mean when he told us to love our enemies? I think one of our first reactions is an emotional one. It's like, I can't love someone like that. Whether we've got a specific name in mind or we've got the concept of somebody being an enemy, I can't feel good about somebody that's trying to hurt me. I can't have the warm fuzzies because somebody or in the midst of a situation where somebody is abusing me or somebody is is tearing me down or somebody's talking bad about me or to me. I just I can't generate that kind of emotion. And can I tell you, that's normal. I don't think any of us can easily generate some kind of positive emotion towards someone who's coming against us. 
But I want to let you know today that that's not what God is asking us to do. You see, when we hear the word love, we think of romantic love or friendship love. We think of the warm fuzzies. We think of the fact, I love this person. I love being with them. We, we relate. We connect. We may be the same. We may be totally opposite, but opposites attract. And, you know, we just, we just got a great relationship in it. We think of the emotional aspect of it, but that is not what Jesus is talking about here. You know, in, in English, we have the word love and we use it for everything. I love my spouse. I love my favorite sports teams. I love a hot, no, I don't love a hot dog. I love my favorite food. You know, and they're not all on the same level, are they? The language that the New Testament was written in is Greek, and it's got several different words for love to help differentiate between these things. You've got one particular word, it's storge, that means family love. You've got the word eros, which means physical and can include sexual love. That's where we get the word erotic from, that kind of thing. You've got the word phileia, which means brotherly love. That's where the city of Philadelphia gets its name. Delphi, uh, Delphos, a city. So you got phileia, Delphos, the city of brotherly love. But then you have another kind of love that probably many of you have heard before because it gets talked about a lot, and that's agape love. That's the love that's being talked about here. Can I tell you that agape love can include good feelings, but that's not what it's all about. When Jesus says to love your neighbor, neighbor, uh, not your neighbor, he tells us to love our neighbors too. That's a whole other hard thing sometimes. But to love our enemies, he says we need to have agape love for our enemies. What is agape love? A good technical definition of agape love is doing good for someone else without the expectation of reward. Has nothing to do with how you feel about it. Doesn't matter whether you like them or not. But you have decided, I am going to do good for somebody else, whether they do good back to me or not. That's just, I'm, I'm going to do good. I like to shorten it down to this. That agape love means to seek another person's highest good. Whatever our relationship is with that person, whether we have a close relationship or maybe we don't have a relationship at all, it's a stranger on the street. But if we're going to agape love them, it's like in any interaction I have with them, what is the thing that is absolutely best for them? No matter whether they try to do that for me, no matter what our relationship might be or not be, no matter how they treat me, I'm just going to make a decision to do what is absolutely best for them, that's the kind of love that Jesus asked us to demonstrate to our enemies. Now, I'm not saying that makes it easy. I think it makes it easier to contemplate because we don't have to work up some kind of warm, fuzzy feelings. There's an old saying that at first I didn't understand and then I disagree with it, then I kind of agreed with it. And, but there's a lot of truth and it's like, you know, there's certain people we have to love, but we don't have to like them. And there is some truth to that. When you're talking about loving, I'm going to do what's best for you, whether I like you or not. Okay? This love doesn't require a close relationship. This love doesn't require an emotional relationship. This love doesn't mean that we have to trust them, especially if they've been untrustworthy. This love doesn't mean we have to spend a lot of time with them. It just means that when we're together with them or in any way we are connected, I'm going to do what's best for them, even when I don't feel like it. In fact, in our passage here, it makes it very clear this love doesn't say anything about emotion, but it says a lot about practical actions. If you look at back at verses 27 and 28, the first place of the two places in this passage where Jesus said, love your enemies, he says, love your enemies, do good. No emotion there, it's just do good to those who hate you. Bless. What does it mean to bless somebody? Well, that's not like the old Southern saying, you're going to bless them out, okay? Some of you will get that, some of you won't, but we'll come back to what it means to bless somebody a little bit later. But that's an action. That's something we do. That's something we say. It says to pray for those who abuse you. Prayer is something you do. See, it's actions. We're going to come back to that passage toward the end because that's the very practical aspect of how do we live this out, you know, in step. You know, what's the next step I need to take if I'm going to try to apply this to my life? But in general, there are two key principles for doing what Jesus says here we're supposed to do, okay? Two key principles. Here's the first one. Don't respond to negative with negative. Don't respond to negative with negative. 
He says here in verse 29 to the one who strikes you on the cheek offer the other also from one who takes your cloak. Not, don't withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who begs from you. If someone takes away your goods, don't demand them back. These are all can be negative things. And he says, when someone gives negative, does negative, don't respond with negative. Now that goes totally against our human nature, doesn't it? What is our first and natural response to somebody who hurts us or hurts somebody we love? I'm going to give them back. Right? Two R words. Revenge. Retaliation. Now, let me make a clear distinction here. God is a just God. God wants things to be right. And one day he's going to make everything right. And he will bring justice. And God and his people, God is and his people should be 100% against injustice. And we as a church have that statement as part of who we are. We got our mission statement. We got our vision statement. We got another statement we developed over the last couple of years with all the injustice stuff that came up, you know, with George Floyd and all that kind of stuff. And we said we want to be public about we stand against all kinds of injustice, including racial injustice and inequality. And that is right. That is a godly characteristic. So that part of our feeling inside when someone does something to hurt us or others, is like, this is not right. That's godly. That's right. But where we get into problems is when we start feeling like not just I wanted to see it made right, but I want to make it right myself. And you know what? They did this to me. I'm going to get my own back and then some. Because isn't that how we feel usually? You know, they did this much to me. Well, I'm going to teach them a lesson. So when I get them back, I'm going to do this much and that much more. You know, you hear what sometimes we take to be humorous stories of family feuds and Sometimes they go on for generations and they get worse and worse and worse. You know, the Hatfields and the McCoys and, you know, that stuff's real. There have been times I've talked to people and talk about these two different families or two different family members that always always have problems with each other. Well, why? How did it all start? It's like, well, I don't really remember. It's been so long ago. I mean, how silly would that be? Although maybe some of us participated in it. Just have this antagonism toward a person or a family and we don't even know why because it's just, we just grown up in that. You know, there's, it just came to me, there's, there's certain aspects of racism that are kind of along those lines, isn't there? Our natural response when someone hurts us is to get revenge. And the danger, because our natural response is also to escalate it, to make it worse. Much of the evil in the world and throughout history has been amplified because of this idea of I've got to get it back and I've got to do more. The escalation. Antagonism between countries, that kind of thing. But Jesus says we should do just the opposite. He doesn't talk about justice here, but the Bible is full of teaching, we need to believe in, stand for justice, but not revenge, not retaliation. Jesus says just the opposite. But what does Jesus mean by all this stuff? And you can do all kinds of study and read all kinds of books and, and, and hear sermons and lessons and stuff and read cultural stuff. And there's a lot of cultural stuff involved in here and say, well, is Jesus being literal here or is he just being figurative? Is he talking about certain cultural things? Is he using hyperbole? Which hyperbole just basically means that you kind of exaggerate something and everybody knows you're exaggerating it because you're making a point. Like when Jesus says, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, just cut it off. We know that Jesus doesn't mean literally you need to cut your right hand. He just means you need to be willing to pay whatever price it takes to get rid of the sin in your life. And the same thing, your right eye, pluck it out, whatever. Is that what Jesus is doing here? And you can find people that give support all these different ways. And I don't want to get bogged down by that. I just want to talk a little bit about what's the principle behind what Jesus is saying, okay? Now, keep in mind that the context of this teaching is in the midst of his saying, when you are persecuted because of your faith, when you are mistreated because of your faith, when you're abused, cast out, imprisoned, talked bad about, ostracized. Maybe you're going to face the end of your life because of your faith. Some say it only applies in those circumstances. 
Well, I'll leave that up to you to think about and to pray about. But the main point is that retaliation or revenge has no place in the Christian's life. In other words, what I just said, don't respond to negative with negative. Now, please keep in mind, God has promised us as his people, if we will live this way, he'll take care of it. He will take care of it. As I said earlier, God will bring about justice. God will right every injustice. When he puts to end this world and the way things are going, he's going to make it right. But in these personal relationships, he talks about it in a number of places. But Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 19, he says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Can I tell you that there is nothing wrong with... Now, you've got to watch your attitude. There's nothing wrong with coming to God when somebody's hurt you and say, God, this really hurts. Would you make it right? When you see a case of real injustice, you know, I'm not talking about somebody just hurt your feelings, you know, somebody puts you down, but somebody in your family has been terribly physically or sexually abused by someone else. There's nothing wrong with going to God and say, God, my heart breaks, my heart hurts, this is wrong. Take care of it, God. I heard a preacher one time, he says, I, I pray all the time that something really frustrates me. And I mean, it's a legitimate. He's, I say, God, sick him. <laughs> you know, can I test exactly what God promises to do? But we've got to watch our attitudes because even then, even in the process of pray, praying and being spiritual and religious, it can be like, God, I'm not going to get retaliation, but you just do the work. And you still got that bad, negative, terrible attitude. And the other thing we've got to keep in mind, and I've mentioned this before, is that, you know, when we're praying, we want justice for somebody else. But when we've blown it, when we've hurt somebody, when we've whatever, we want mercy, don't we? And that's one of the reasons that God says, leave it in my hands, because I see the bigger picture. I see why they did what they did. It doesn't make it right. I see that that person is that way because of the way they were treated. doesn't make it right. But I'm working in their life. I want to see their life turned around, just like your life was turned around. And just like we will not be held accountable eternally for the things that we have done in our sinful nature, sinful flesh, hurting other people and all that kind of stuff, that's been forgiven. That's why we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. He paid the price for it. Thank God we have forgiveness. We have His mercy. We have His grace. We don't have to face Judgment, justice has been done, but Jesus paid the price. And even though it's a little hard for us to wrap our minds around it sometimes, but the people that hurt us, the people who carry out the injustices, the people who do the abuse, the pe- God loves them and he wants their life to turn around too. And if they put their trust in Christ, there'll be consequences in this life, but their sins are forgiven too. Again, it's hard for us like, well, God, I want my sins to be forgiven, but I don't know if I want you to forgive them. That's, you know, that's, that's just honesty, isn't it? But we gotta be fair. If God's gonna forgive us and we don't deserve it, if they respond, then God's gonna forgive them too. And that's the point. One of the reasons why he asks us to love them is that that may be part of the process where God reaches out to them to bring them to himself, where they'll come to a place of repentance and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus gives three examples here, and we're not going to dig deeply into it. The first one is found in the first part of verse 21 to the, 29. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. This is a popular one. Turn the other cheek. Somebody does something bad to you, just let it go. Walk away. You know, that's kind of the idea that's there. If you really study this, if you really think about it, one of the main ideas here is not just the fact that somebody hauls up and punches you one, but the insult, it's about insult. Okay? So let's, let's try. If you're next to somebody, look at them, okay? 
Now, you have to have two people looking at each other, okay? You can't look to the person's... The other back. Okay, so if you are right-handed, many of you are right-handed, but if you're not right, you're left-handed, pretend you're right-handed. What would you have to do to hit that person on their right cheek? You'd either have to go like this or backhanded. I think in just about any situation, culture, where a backhanded slap means what? I insult you. I look down on you. When you backhand somebody, you're not necessarily trying to knock them out. There's better ways to do that if that's what you want to do. It's like, I'm just in, you know, this is just so I'm, you mean nothing to me. You know, I look down on you. So the idea here might be, I mean, it includes the physical and an insult. When, when people look down on us, when people treat us like dirt, when people just don't value us. So what's Jesus saying? He said, when people insult me, I'm not going to respond the same way. Even if you turn around and do it again, I think what the idea is is turn the other cheek. I don't think he literally means, hey, that felt good. Do it again on this side. You know, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is being willing to let it go. And even if you do it again. Now, I have to admit, you know, you know how kids are. We're teenagers. When I was younger, you know, we talk about this and stuff. And people say, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. I only got two of them. Actually, I've got four of them. If you can't figure that out, I'll have somebody explain it to you, okay? So, anyway. <laughs> but the point is, I'm not going to respond the way you're treating me, even if you do it again. I'm not going to retaliate. He gives another one here in the second half of verse 29. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. That one we have a harder time relating to. And, and, and this basically has to do with people making life harder for you than it needs to be. There's a passage in the Old Testament in Exodus 22, verses 26 to 27. And it says, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. And it's his cloak for his body. And what else will he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. So... In that day and age, you had your inner garments, a little bit more lightweight, that was your tunic. But then you had a cloak, which was a heavier garment, and it wasn't like a coat with sleeves and all, it was like a big blanket type thing, big robe blanket type thing, and it was heavier, and especially in colder weather, you would wear that during the colder weather, but then it was like your blanket at night. Okay, and so he's saying here is that, you know, if you have a deal with somebody, you whatever, and somebody pledges to you that they will give you something, do something for you. They're making a promise is what they're doing. And he says, "Okay, you don't know them well enough, whether you can really trust them or not. And so you will give me something to guarantee you're going to keep your promise. And so you're working out with them and they say, "Okay, here, I'll give you my 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 cloak. He says, for most people, poor people. This is all they got to do to keep them warm, and especially at night if they're going to sleep. And he says, don't keep it overnight. Even if you don't know you can trust them or whatever, give it back to them. And so the idea here that Jesus is saying, if somebody takes your cloak, this is something you need, this is important to you, they don't want to give it back. He says, just let it go. They're not supposed to do that. He says, in fact, maybe they're in need. Maybe you should go ahead and give them your tunic too. Instead of retaliating, instead of being angry, instead of trying to get back, I'm going to show love, kindness, and compassion. When people deliberately make things harder for me than they should, I'm not going to seek revenge. He's supposed to give it to me back, but he's not going to. That makes life hard. I mean, we don't relate to the cloak thing, but when people deliberately make life hard for us, and they don't even have to, I'm not going to seek revenge. Then he gives another one in verse 30. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. And this one causes a lot more confusion because the first half sounds like there's somebody in need and they're asking for money or food or whatever. And he says, give it to them. And obviously, you know, that's a good thing to do. Why is that in the context of being mistreated and somebody being an enemy. But then he adds that second line when he says, and from someone who takes away from you, don't demand them back. And this is just my own personal opinion and thought because it just isn't real clear, um, is that maybe there's someone who's again trying to take advantage of us and they're trying to trying to trick us. Okay? 
I mean, there's lots of teachings. If you know somebody that's in need and you have resources to help meet that need, meet that need. But that has nothing to do with enemies. But what if there's somebody who pretends to be in need and uses that opportunity to take advantage of you? Maybe you don't find out till later. This is kind of the thought I had to this is I'm going to be generous because other people have needs and I have resources. And when I'm taken advantage of, I'll still be compassionate and generous. You see, there's a tendency that if we've been taken advantage of someone because we thought it was a situation where somebody was to not want to do that anymore. And Jesus says, don't. That's a form of retaliation. Don't do that. Now, you may look at these verses, have a little bit different perspective. Maybe you've studied them before. And I know there's a lot of different ways to look at these verses. How exactly did Jesus mean to apply them? And that's fine. Study it to your heart's content. But the main idea is still there. Don't pay back negative to negative. Just don't. But you know what? The greatest example we have of that is Jesus himself. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. He's writing to believers who are suffering unjustly. And he says that specifically. Because of your faith, you are suffering, and it's not just. You don't deserve it. They shouldn't be doing this. How do you respond? He says, for, the, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Did Jesus deserve all the things he suffered? No. But he did it for us. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, and when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to do, entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Or as he said, God, you're going to take care of it. I'm trusting in you. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to keep doing the right thing. And of course, it led to the cross. Jesus being horribly treated, probably much more horribly treated than we would ever dream of being treated in this life. But he did that for us. And he says, as we live a life for him, we may have to go through some similar things because we're followers of him. Do the same thing. Don't respond the same way. Don't respond to negative with negative. The second general principle is This, it adds to it, actually. Respond to negative with positive. This makes it harder. Even if we decide, I'm not going to respond to negative with negative. Okay, they do something to hurt me. I'm walking away. I just won't talk to them anymore. I just won't have anything to do with them anymore. And that may not be an unwise thing. You know, you don't need to put yourself and keep yourself in an abusive situation. In fact, I would say that if you are in an abusive relationship, even within a marriage, there is no obligation to stay in that place of abuse. There's a lot of implications of what happens from that point on, but you do not need to stay in the same home with someone who is abusing you. Okay? Make that very clear, very emphatic. And if you are in a situation like that, nobody knows about it. You don't know what you should do. You need to get help. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Jan. We'll help you get the help you need. I I wasn't even planning on saying all that, but it just came... Keep that in mind. So anyway, respond to the negative with positive. Look at verse 31. It's it's a phrase that we've heard before. We often hear Matthew's version of it from the Sermon on the Mount. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. The golden rule. Treat others the way you would like to be treated. There are a lot of rules like that in the ancient world, but they only dealt with the negative. They just said, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. Jesus made it more positive. You know, because to not do something means you just ignore them. You just stay away. In this one, Jesus says, do to other people. Actively treat other people the way you'd like to be treated. He doesn't say here, don't treat other people the way they treat you. That's a whole revenge retaliation thing. He doesn't say, don't treat people the way they deserve to be treated. Again, that leads to the whole revenge retaliation. They may deserve mistreatment because they're dishing it out so much. That's not what he says. He says, treat others the way you would want to be treated. And he goes on to explain that. He says, you know, everybody treats other people good if they treat them good. You know, if you just love people that love you, what's the big deal? 
Why are you different from anybody else? Why are you different from people that don't have any relationship with God, don't even claim to follow Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus and all you do is love the people that love you, you're no different than people that don't follow Jesus. Same thing for giving and lending and all these things that he mentions here. How are you different? That's a great great question to ask yourself. As a follower of Jesus, how am I different from the people that are out there in the world? Not because I'm better than they are, but because God's at work in my life. And because I want to be like God and I want to be like Jesus. I want to be that person he's called me and created me to be. And it's a good person. It's not easy, but it's a person that's full of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. We're all working on that. Nobody's perfect yet, but how are we different? And that's one of the things Jesus says here. Because when God comes into our life, we surrender our life to Christ, we begin to change. The Bible says we're new creations. We're new people. I was talking to some of our young people this week about being baptized. And we talked about what does baptism mean? And, and one of them mentioned specifically that, you know, we're a new person. We are. We're still in that process. And, and that's one of the points that Jesus makes here, too. He says, you know, if you live this way, if you react this way, it says you will be sons, and I'll put in their daughters, sons and daughters of the Most High. Now, he's not trying to say that if you do this, that's what makes you a son or daughter. It just says, if you do this, it demonstrates that you are a son or a daughter. Okay? It's like that old saying, like, like father, like son. Sometimes that's used in a positive way and sometimes that's used in a negative way, right? It just means that we have a tendency to be like the people we're closest to, right? And that's what he's saying. If you have a relationship with God, Jesus is your Savior. You're a follower of Jesus. Trying to live for Him, you're going to become more and more like Him. You're going to become more and more like God. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And he wraps it all up in verse 36 by saying, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's a great way to end it. Because he says, as we're trying to live this out, as we're trying to be like God, we're trying to be like Jesus, God is merciful. What does that mean? I like to define mercy and grace. They're very similar. But I like to define it this way. Grace is when God gives us something we don't deserve. And mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. Now, there's a little bit of shade of meaning on both that overlap, okay? But grace, God gives us salvation and forgiveness. We don't deserve it, but Jesus paid for it, so he gives it to us. Mercy means God does not give us the judgment and the condemnation and the hell that we deserve because Jesus took care of it for us. He says, if God is merciful, he doesn't pay people back the way they deserve to be paid back, including ourselves, because Jesus already took care of it, we need to be that way too. When someone hurts us, when someone comes against us, then I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to let God take care of it. Hopefully my process of being merciful will point them to Jesus. They'll come to know him. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest aspect of God's mercy, while we were still sinners, while we were still God's enemies, he loved us and had mercy on us. So he calls us to have mercy on others. So how do we really put this into practice? How do we love our enemies? And I want to go back to the part that we went through really quick and just use this to wrap things up. Practical steps that we can take. If you're sitting here saying, man, this is hard. This is one of the hardest things God asked me to do. But you know what? I want to please God. I want to do what's right. And maybe there's part of me that doesn't want to, but I want the part that wants to to win. What do I do? How do I go about this? How do I take the first step? And can I tell you, in some situations, it's not like you're going to have an immediately 180-degree turnaround toward that specific person that is your enemy and that has hurt you so badly, but you can start taking one little step at a time. And can I tell you, take any step forward, even if it's a baby step is better than staying where you are than going backwards. So as we go through this, let God speak to your heart about who maybe you need to treat a little bit different this way and how you need to do that. 
It could be a, a, a person in your family. It could be a person at work. It could be a person, I know school hasn't started yet, but you young people, you face this kind of stuff in school with bullies and all kinds of stuff, okay? How do we practically put this into practice? What does love for enemies look like? What should we do? Remember, it's a do. It's not a feel, it's a do. If we look at Luke 6, 27 and 28 again, and tack on verse 35. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. All of these instructions are imperatives, which means commands. Jesus is saying, this is what you're supposed to do. It's not a suggestion. If you're going to follow me, this is what you need to work on. And they're in the present tense, which means do it and keep on doing it. It's not like, okay, well, I'm going to treat that guy nice tomorrow, then I'm going to forget all about it for the rest of my life. No, it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing. What is it? First one, do good to your enemy. That's not really all that complicated. Somebody does bad to you, if you have the opportunity, when you have the opportunity, just do what's good. You don't want to. You want to do bad back. Don't. Do something good. Now, I don't mean go out and buy them a present. I'm just saying you're not going to respond in a negative way, but... If you have the opportunity, you know, somebody cheats you at work, makes you look bad, but you're able to help them with their job, or maybe they did something really good and you can brag on them. I know that's stretching it. I'm not telling you to tell a lie or make them look good when they're not really good, but you respond to the bad with good. Do good to your enemy. Earlier I read Romans 12, 17 to 19. I want to reread that, but tack on the next two verses because it expands it in this area. Where Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's where we stopped. Going on, it says, To the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll be heaped burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, there's a thought. This is part of God's process. We're not going to let evil overcome our lives and tear us down and make us more like the people that are doing the evil. No, we're going to try to overcome evil with good. Somebody treats you wrong, you find out they give out a need and you can help meet that need, help meet that need. And say, you know, I'm doing this because Jesus loved me and he took care of my needs and I want to help take care of your needs. You turn it into a witnessing opportunity. So if you do that, it'll heap burning coals on their head. It's not literal, but many Bible scholars believe that means eventually if they're receptive, they're going to feel guilty. You know, after the way I treated them and they did that for me. You know, you may not want to. You certainly don't feel like it, but we can make a decision to do something good for somebody. Just do, just requires us doing something. Second one, bless your enemy. Bless your enemy. To bless means to speak well of, to wish well of. Now, this is not saying that you should lie about your enemy. They've hurt you, so you're going to go around and tell people they're wonderful people. No, no. This goes along with the idea of agape love. You want what is best for them. Um, I looked this specific word up in a Bible um, dictionary that digs into the original language. And this is what it says about this verse in particular. It says, to invoke God's blessing on someone means to pray that they may be turned from their ways through God's intervention in their lives. In other words, the way you bless them is to say, you know what? God's got a plan for your life. That's what I want for you. That's what I'm praying for you. God's got something better for you. And you pray for that, which leads to the third one. Pray for your enemy. What does it take to pray for your enemy? And I don't mean, Lord, get him. Now, I said, you know, (laughs) the Bible actually says you can pray that. But can I challenge you to go way beyond that and say, God, this is not right. This is not just. I pray you'd make things right. But you know what? You had mercy on me. And I pray that they would come to know Jesus so you can have mercy on them. God, they have hurt me so bad. There's probably a really good church that they are hurting so bad. I don't know what caused it. Maybe you do know what caused it. Doesn't make it right. But God, can you bring healing to their life? Can you somehow work in their life to where they'll call out to you? To where they will receive what I had the privilege of receiving, your mercy and your grace? Pray for your enemies. 
Can I tell you that I've heard testimonies of people who started praying for their enemies and they did not like their enemies, which is natural. But over the process of praying for them, trying to put themselves in their shoes, trying to um, imagine, well, I wonder what kind of hurt maybe they've gone through that made them the pe- made them type person that would hurt people that well. And maybe even finding out what they went through and why they are the way they are, that they actually did develop strong feelings of compassion and love for people that had terribly hurt them. God can do anything. That's not necessary. That's not required. But that'd be a great thing to do when you begin to pray for your enemies and God actually gives you Love and compassion for them. And the last thing here, when he says, um, let me find it here. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Uh, Forget about the lending part. I think the the thing I want to focus on is the expecting nothing in, in return. Do all these things expecting nothing in return. In other words, don't just do them and say, okay, God says to do this, so if I start doing this, they're going to turn around. They're going to change. They're going to stop mistreating me. They're going to stop insulting me. They're going to stop making things difficult for me at work. They're going to stop making things difficult for me at school. So I'm going to do it. Now, you can hope for that. You can pray for that. But Jesus is saying, do it even if things don't change. Can I tell you that Jesus would want us to do it even if things get worse? And they may get worse. It may so tick people off that you're responding positively to their negative. It's like, I'm going to ramp it up. But can I tell you that means you're getting through. It's not pleasant. So do these things expecting nothing in return. Even if they don't repent, they don't change, they don't start doing good back, they have a much greater opportunity because of your example to perhaps turn to Jesus. Now can I tell you that to do this, this kind of love, we've got to have God's presence and power in our lives. We can't do it on our own. We've got to be dependent on Him. There's some great examples in Scripture. I think of King David when Saul spent almost 20 years trying to kill David, chasing him all around the country and and being so weird about it. And the fact that Saul would repent and say, David, I'm so sorry I shouldn't be trying to kill you. Come back, come back. And they'd be fine for a while. And then Saul would try to kill him again. And David would go on the run. And David had several opportunities to actually kill Saul. And God had already told David he was going to be the next king. And his people were saying, this is what God was talking about. Kill him so you can be the next king. He says, no. If God wants me to be the next king, he'll take care of that. I've got to do the right thing. And right now, Saul is God's king. He's not serving God. He's doing the wrong thing. But God's not removed him yet, so he's in God's hands. And then, of course, we have the example of Jesus, who from the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, for what they're doing. We think of the first martyr in the Bible, the first man of God, who, the first person who was put to death for their faith. It's recorded in Scripture. Stephen, in Acts, as they're stoning him, he says, I'm going to be like Jesus. He says, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. Great examples. But you know what? It takes God to do that. This isn't an easy thing to put into practice. But I'll be honest. I think if we do it, and to the degree that we do, it'll change us in so many good ways. So don't respond to negative with positive. Respond to negative. I'm sorry. Don't respond to negative with negative. Instead, respond to negative with positive. Do good, bless, and pray for your enemies, expecting nothing in return. So, the only thing we got to pray about today is God help me to do it. Because really to apply it, you just got to go do it. So what do you need to do differently? And to whom do you need to do it? Again, maybe you can only work yourself up to do one little step. But what is that one little step? Who's the person in your family, the person at your job, the person in school? I know school's not started quite yet. In your neighborhood, who is that person that you're going to say, God, if there's an opportunity for me to do something good for them, show me and I'll do it. God, I'm going to start praying for them. Not God, get them off my back. God, get them out of my life. God, just zap them good. But God, work in their life in a powerful way. I don't know. But I think if you're open, God will tell you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. And God, I titled this message the hardest thing. And God, if it's not the hardest thing we've ever had to do or been asked to do, it is one of the one of the hardest things. 
especially for those of us who have been abused, mistreated, subject of injustice, Lord God, especially in the last couple of years talking about these racial things, Lord Jesus. God, help us to be like you. Help us to be like Jesus. Oh, Lord, we can't do this on our own. It doesn't seem normal. It doesn't seem natural. Father, we need your help. God, I pray that you'd help the way we feel because we don't feel like doing it. Lord, change that. God, I pray that in spite of how we feel, we'll just say, you know what? I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do this to please my Father. God, I take time to pray for those who have been horribly hurt and abused in whatever way. And that pain is still very real and very fresh. And I pray for your help in their life to deal with that, Lord God. I pray for the consequences, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would just minister in that situation. But God, I pray that you'd help us when we feel that way to be able to let it go because it's just like unforgiveness, Lord. We think that by holding on to it, we're hurting the other person and the only person we're hurting is ourselves. We think that by letting go of it, somehow we're letting off the hook and that's not the truth either. But God, I pray that our pain would not hold us bondage. Lord, help us, Lord. Show us specifically who to get started with, what to do, what to pray about. And God, help us just walk that out in every relationship we have so we can become more like Jesus and the world will see Jesus in us and it will point all people, Lord God. Maybe somebody else is not even associated. We'll see how we're treating that person. Say, I can't believe they're treating them that way. And they'll ask us, why are you being so nice to that person? After they've hurt you so bad, we say, because that's what Jesus did for me. Maybe the whole purpose will be so we can witness to somebody else. God, just use this as another opportunity to turn that which is bad into something that is good. And Lord, most of all, we thank you that that's what you did for us. You were merciful to us. We didn't deserve it. Oh, Lord, but Jesus came and died for our sins. You've forgiven us. You don't treat us the way we deserve to be treated. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. God, we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.